Heavenly Father, it's a joy to meet together with these people I do not know, and yet I feel like I know so well. It is Christ who binds us together. It is Christ who makes us family. It's the love of God that has triggered what James is talking about, that life change. And Lord God, I praise you because you have changed my life. You have changed the life of so many people here. And so we pray that as we spend a few minutes now just looking into your word, Lord, that you will breathe even fresh life, fresh vigor into our souls. Give us truth that guides our very steps tomorrow, that guides the relationships we have now, that, that gives us perspective on the realities that we are experiencing in this life. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted, your word would be exalted. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come down fresh in this place and speak to us in a way that even our own minds could never discern. We want the word of God and the spirit of God to do in us and through us what we could never do for ourselves. And that is what we know you will do. So we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I will. <clears throat> One of the things that I, I look for when I have opportunity to hear people speak, particularly about, you know, from the scriptures, is that as I'm hoping that I'll walk away knowing how to study the Word of God a little bit better myself by how they share the Word. And so that's my prayer tonight is that as we spend a little bit of time in the Word, you'll walk away knowing just a little deeper how you can engage with scripture in a life-directing and life-changing way. And there's one of the, uh, the primary ways I'd like to do this tonight is to approach the, the scripture from a, a, from a, a particular angle. And we're going we're gonna to set aside our, our Greek and our Hebrew Bible dictionaries. Um, you can put down the commentaries. If you've brought multiple study Bibles, we're just going to use one. Matter of fact, let's, let's pretend like we don't even have a study Bible. So we don't even have that list of cross-references to lean on. All we have is the Word of God. And the question I have for you is, can it speak to you? And can it speak powerfully? I'm really encouraged to be here tonight because, again, not knowing what, to, what to, you guys are used to, it, I looked back and I said, I'll, I'll glance at three messages. And listen, almost all, all of all three of them. And the first one was uh, Max from a few weeks, uh, several weeks ago, uh, Romans chapter 11. And then I listened to uh, Michael's on uh, predestination. And he spent almost an hour with you guys on predestination. And then, and then just last week with, uh, I think it was David, uh, sharing from Romans chapter 14 and, and the liberty that God gives us. And yet how he asks us to, to lay it down for, out of love for others and out of love for the gospel. So that people's faith will be built up. And as I said, and I listened to these sermons, I, I just praise the Lord. Like, they're eating steak and potatoes over there. <laughs> they're, they're really, wow, almost an hour in the Word. This is awesome. And so you guys have encouraged me to spend all the time that I need tonight to get through, what do we have, about 72 verses here, and I've got 15 I've been assigned. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dive into it uh, and get what we can here in the few minutes we've got. But at the, the angle that we'd like to, I'd like to go into this with you is just a, a bare-bones study of the Word. And so the tool that I'd like to share, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, maybe we'll find some different ways to apply it, is, is to ask questions. How do we ask questions well of the text? Uh, some 20 plus years ago, I was at a, a conference in Texas uh, studying uh, uh, on business and uh, attending a number of workshops and whatnot. And an author was there who wrote the book, Questions or the Answer. And, and now there's several 
books by that same title. I don't remember which author this was. But reading the book, sitting into the, sitting into the lecture, how many realize that to, if we can ask the right questions, they will lead us to the right answers. And how important that is in life. And not only just in life, but especially with the Word of God. Is that it, and knowing that I was going to take this approach, uh, you can understand why even just a couple days ago when I saw a new book come across my screen, I don't know what side I was on or whatever, the book, um, Faith is the Answer, But What Are the Questions? I haven't read the book, so I'm not endorsing the book. It's by uh, James Moore, a Methodist pastor. Uh, but the, the question, the title there caught my attention. And then also, just a couple days ago, this article came across uh, one of my social media feeds. This is an adapted expert, uh, excerpt from Brian Wright's book. Again, I haven't seen this book, just, uh, I think it's new. Inspired Questions, A Year's Journey Through the New Testament. He says, you can't get to right answers until you have the right questions. And the greatest questions ever asked are inspired ones. The Bible alone stands as the source and storehouse of inspired questions. It asks questions we could never ask ourselves. And then and throughout this book, I believe he goes through a number of the questions that Christ asked, that, that various individuals throughout biblical history asked, and explores them in the wisdom of them. I'd like to take that just a touch further and recognize that everything coming in Scripture to us is an answer. And oftentimes, the question isn't asked. So, but we engage with the text better when we identify the question. So there are three questions. You've heard this type of stuff before. There's three questions we'll look at tonight in Romans 15. And that is what, why, and how. I've selected those three in particular. Those are the three that have most helped me to engage with the scriptures. If I am asking those questions as I read, not just at the end of the text, but as I read, I find myself diving into the text. And the text comes alive to me just by asking these questions. So I, I, I'm going to assume that you would rather we have a discussion than me lecture tonight. So I'm going to ask you to participate in Bible study with me. I haven't led this type of, uh, of uh, speaking engagement before, so you're going to help me to find out if I should ever do it again or not. But let me encourage you to, don't be bashful. We're here to study the Word of God together, and we do that best when we are studying together rather than just listening. So Romans chapter 15, we are going to begin, uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Our text for today that I've been assigned is, chapter, uh, is verses 14 to the end of the chapter, and uh, we'll see how far we can get. Um, but as we read through, I am going to ask you to answer the what, why, and how questions. But these are the questions in particular we're after. What is the author saying? I have found it to be extremely valuable to read a text and have to reword it. Explain to me what he just said. Don't need any, uh, any depth. We're just looking, can you reword the text for me? Has your mind captured what Paul was saying in this phrase or in this verse? The second question is the why. Now, we're going to have to read into the text a little bit to try to discern why did Paul say that. But when we understand what Paul is saying, not just the words, but the concepts he's after, and then we begin to grasp why he's saying those things to the early church, all of a sudden application just starts to stream from the pages. The how does this apply to me is almost self-answered by the time we get to this point. So let's dive into the text here. I'm going to begin reading uh, just to give us a little bit of running start uh, in verse 7. 
And I'll give you a hint since we're, since we're jumping into this cold. The key word through one of the key words throughout all of these verses is the word Gentile. And you understand that the Gentiles are the term used for the non-Jews. Uh, both the, the Greek and the Hebrew, so a little bit of that here for you. The, the, for the word Gentile refers to the peoples, the nations. And so for the Jews, the word Gentile meant all of the non-Jews, those who were not Israel. And if you've studied through the first part of Romans, you understand what a collision of societies, a collision of peoples has happened when the Jews, largely through Paul's message of the gospel, um, had to welcome in the Gentiles. That is so worth a deep study anytime you, anytime you have opportunity. Why was there such friction? Why was there such resistance to the Gentiles? So, but it, for now, we understand there was this hesitancy to let them in. The Jews were hesitant, resistant to let the Gentiles in. So with this uh, context, we begin in verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept one another. You can see this is the context of chapter 14 rolling in here. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. You'd have to be a Jew to really understand how this is hitting the early church's ears. And of course, in Rome, there were a mix of Gentiles and Jews. But for those Gentiles who are hearing this, you can only imagine every time he says, speaks the name Gentile, it's like the hammer is hitting the nail again. So now we come to our text for today, or verse 13 first. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we come to the text that we're going to study today. Verse 14. And concerning you, my brother, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Let's stop at that verse and tell me, what did Paul just say? Can somebody summarize that? Reward that. What did Paul just say? Give you a few seconds to think it through. In verse 14, what did Paul just say? Somebody give me a summary, a reword, just a simple reword. God has changed us and filled us so we can pour out on one another. Very good. God's changed us, filled us, so we can pour out on one another. Somebody else? Paul says, I'm convinced. What does he say? I don't need any more proof. I have seen. You don't have to convince me anymore. This is obvious. And what does he say is obvious? He says three things about the church. What are they? Not using his words. What's the first one? Somebody reword that. 
They're good. Yeah, in Paul's words, he says, you're full of goodness. And we think about this. We, we know he's not just saying it a shallow level. You're good people. He's saying you're good Christians. You have good moral values. You have good moral standards. That's the first thing he commends this, the believers in Rome for. Would you like to be good, uh, uh, praised in that manner? Would you like that to be something people say about you? Now, he is a good man. Not just in the shallow, but in the deep way. She is a good woman. That's what Paul had to say about these believers. What's the second thing he said? Not in his words. You're smart. They know a lot. They're smart. Now, he's not talking about your, your, your you know, school. He's not talking about math and science. What is he talking about when he says you are smart? You are knowledgeable. You have a knowledge of God's word. You are knowledgeable. He's saying you have got your doctrine straight. Now, that's a, that's a high commendation for an early church. He says, you've got your doctrine straight. What's the third thing he says? You know how to use this with each other. You're exhorting one another. You're building each other up. You are skillful with the word of God. You are skillful with the doctrines of the gospel. These are amazing commendations. And he says, you don't even have to show me anymore. I am convinced your reputation precedes you, right? Paul had not been to Rome. And so he has these commendations to say. Why does he say these things? There's the why question, right? Why does he say, why does he give us verse 14? Let's read, read in between the lines a little. Take a guess. Why is Paul telling the church this? What are some of the reasons? Encourage them and fill them up and inspire them. Yeah, encouraging. And I, I, is, the more I study the writings of Paul, the more I recognize what a good encourager he was. He points out what the church is doing well, often when he writes his epistles. Why else might he write these things? He broke them down a little bit before. Yeah, he's helping them to see it, it, it individually. Here are the skills you've got, the things you're doing well. These are things I've taught, and you're doing them. You know, it's, it's one thing for a teacher to say, you're doing a great job. It's another thing to say, you know, I saw that part in your paper where you said, that was really awesome. Yeah. There's a whole different level of recognition there and encouragement. Why else? Yeah, he's, he's going to share some, if I, if I heard you correctly, understood correctly, he's going to share some hard things next. But he wants them to know that's not all he sees. What about the how? How does this apply to us? Well, first, we see right away what three things we should all be striving for. If Paul highlights these in the Church of Rome and says, these are three things you are amazing at, I am convinced. He's encouraging them to keep it up. And these are three things we should strive for. Can others say of us, you are a good person? That type of testimony, that type of reputation doesn't happen overnight, does it? That's a, that's a type of reputation, the type of commendation a person gets when they have been tested and others see them do what's right. That's good. What's the, what's the second point here? You're not just a good person, you've got knowledge. Can others save us? If you've got a Bible question, go talk to her. If you've got a Bible question, go talk to him. That's, a, that's something we should be striving for, right? What was the third point? You know how to use the word. I fear for the church today 
that we have become so skilled at absorbing truth that we have mistaken that for the ability to do something with it. Not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. Do you see how the, the what, the why, and the how bring the scriptures to life? Now, this isn't even the main verse for what we're going to look at today. This is just the first verse. And any other uh, observations on the, on the how? How does this apply to us? Anybody? What are you seeing in these, in these thoughts, these three commendations? Do you encourage others with words of praise? Do you see that in others? Are, are, are we looking for it in others? Is it interesting how much we all thrive on being commended? It's being recognized. Paul looked at it the other way. How, how can I see the others? All right, let's keep moving through the text here. Verse 15. He says, but I have written very boldly to you. Here comes the praise. Verse 15. But... But I have written very boldly to you. Watch this. Let's stop right there and ask the questions. What did Paul just say? Reword that for us. Yeah, you said, I'm not going to be tactful. <laughs> I have written very boldly to you. What is he saying? Engage your minds. Capture, capture a bigger picture of what, what this means. Because this is a, a killer statement in this whole text. He, I, he says, I've been frank with you. Very good. What else? This is why I write all of my sermons with a thesaurus open on the desk. It helps me to ungrasp the text. Paul is saying, I've had to raise my voice with you here. I've had to get in your face a little bit. I've had to be strong with my words. Why would Paul say that? So read, read between the lines. Of, why would he have to be bold with them? Get their attention. They're not listening. What else? I mean what I'm saying. Yeah, he's adding emphasis to this. He's elevating what he has been talking about and what he's about to talk about. Why else? He thinks it's important. Very good. Would you agree he's being bold? He, he's having to do the underline and the bold. He's having to raise his voice and get in their face a little because he said it before and they didn't listen. Yeah. Or he's, he knows he said it and he knows they're probably not going to hear it. I think a few uh, phrases later, he says, I've reminded you again. And he says, at least three times he's had to say this. Said it once, he reminded them, and he says, and now I remind you again. He's elevating the emphasis of whatever he's talking about here. Now, why would he do this? Uh, we just talked about the why. Um, how does this apply to us? Before we even look at the heart of what Paul's going to approach today, how does this apply to us? Are we willing to be straight shooters of people? Can we shoot straight? Can we talk straight? Do we have the freedom, the relationship that we can talk, have hard conversations together? How else does it apply? Yeah. Are we willing to listen? You see, this goes back a little bit to the, the why, right? Paul had to say these things because the church had blind spots. The church had things they thought they were good at and weren't. Or there were areas of the church that they should have been strong in, but didn't think they needed to be. And Paul says, I'm going to have to get in your face a little, because you don't understand. You think you understand, but you don't understand. How does this apply to us? 
One of the great signs of Christian growth is the honesty of humility. You know, I've been saved for a long time, but I have to regularly remind myself, I still have major blind spots. Amen. Or we tell ourselves, you know, I know a lot about the Bible, but there is a lot I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm a strong Christian, but I just know there are areas of my life that I am very weak in. Amen. And we haven't even gotten to the main text yet. Do you see how the scripture's kind of alive when we're engaging with the right questions? Yes. Paul has already, in this phrase, I have spoken very boldly to you, set us in the place of humility to receive the word and to grow in our faith. He has set us up. He set up the church in Rome to be strong now. Apart from that humility, God will resist us. He will oppose us. I mean, do we ponder these words? To be opposed by the God of the universe. Humility is what puts us in line with him. And Paul has set us up right here in one phrase. He set us up to receive some difficult truths. He goes on to say, I've read very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. Because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest of the gospel of God. So that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I'll give you 30 seconds. Start wrapping your mind around that text right there. What in the world did Paul just say? I believe that's the, this, this passage here is the heart of this section of the text. We're going to draw a banker right here. If this is as far as we go, we'll trust the Lord with that. But this is the heart. This is, this is amazing what Paul has said. So all I ask of the text for myself and ask you now is, what did Paul just say? So I'm going to take a shot at it. Reword for us. Yeah, go for it. Yes, yes, this is, this is my ministry for the Lord. And what does he say? Because of the grace that was given me. So Paul's saying, this is a God thing that's happening here. Do you think there were Jews who thought the Gentiles coming into the church was not a God thing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This was a major cultural collision, a major relig religious collision. So what else is Paul saying in the text here? He's reminding, and remember, he's reminding them boldly of what he's about to say. This is a God thing that is happening. And you believers in Rome need to hear this. And you're not hearing this. This is a God thing. What else did he say? Proclaiming the gospel as a gift. The gospel is a gift. Very good. It's free. This is the gift God has given us, and we're giving it to the and we're giving I'm giving it to the Gentiles. You know, Peter's primary ministry was to who? The Jews, the Jews. Paul's was primarily to the Gentiles. Gentiles. And Paul is reminding us, this is my calling. This is my ministry. This is what God is doing. And this is a gift. What else does he say? He wants the Gentiles to be acceptable to God. That's right. That's good. 
These Gentiles are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to yell it at you if I have to to get it across. Can you hear Paul saying these things? Because the church is slow to accept these kinds of things. Dig a little bit more. Yeah. Can I go over for a second? Yeah. So, you mentioned the priestly duty. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 so, he said it's, it's the priestly duty. And it's really interesting because if you look at the Levitical priesthood, that's the priesthood of the law, the priesthood of the Jews. But there's a different priesthood, the priesthood of the Kelsbeck, and that's the priesthood of Christ. Um, and that's the one that Jesus goes forth and is different, is that of grace and truth, instead of the law that points to our sin and our need of Christ. Um, Christ himself fulfills it, and that's the grace and truth. So that's the one that Paul's acting on. Yes, excellent, excellent. Paul is putting that phrase in there for a reason. Hey, this is not my own mission. I'm not just doing what I think needs to be done. Like the priests, God has put me in this position to serve the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a priestly duty, a New Testament, a new covenant, priestly duty. Would you hear we all have that duty? In, in not as Levitical priests, but like the Levitical priests. Yeah. Exclusion. And Paul says, I have to say this to you over and over and over. You're excluding people who don't fit your mold. Your religious mold. You're excluding people who aren't like you. You're excluding people who in your minds, in a very real way, are not good enough to be the people of God. How does this apply to you? Yeah. It, it, it does. It does. I'm pastor of a Baptist church. Lines right here, right there. You know, the tendency, no matter where we're at, is to see others, whatever group that might be, whatever groups that might be, as not fitting our religious standard, our religious mold. They're just not good enough. Paul says, shame on you. You are not hearing me. He says, this is a weakness in the church. You've got a blind spot. And we've said it before, but you, you're still not hearing it. This applies to us, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. There are people who are acceptable to God just how they are because they have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what church they go to, if they have been sanctified by saving grace, if God has done in their soul what no amount of good works, no amount of religion could do, then they are acceptable to God and they should be acceptable to you and me. Thoughts? 
That's good. Talk about exclusion. Talk about inclusion. Yeah. Like you said at the end there, like, I may disagree with you, but being a Christian, I love you all the same. I disagree. I will point that out, but I love you, and that's not the point of it all. I hear from Paul here is you need to swing the doors of the church much wider open. You're making them narrower than even the Holy Spirit. Like she said, who are we to judge? I mean, hasn't Paul been here in the recent chapters? He's given us so much good theology, so much spiritual reality, the doctrine of the first several chapters. And now he's getting it, and here's what it looks like in real life. And one of the last nails to, to hammer on the head is this issue of exclusion in the church. Because people don't fit our standard, our idea. And of course, we're not talking about a biblical standard. There is a biblical standard. That's one thing Paul commends them for. You know the truth. But look at how you're missing the mark in this one area. Let's read on. Verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Can we stop right there? What did Paul just say? What's he talking about? Rejoice. Yes, rejoice in what? What is he so proud of? What has he found reason for boasting? God. Serving God. Particularly where? To the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Why would he say that? The Jews were looking down on him for what he was doing. He said, I'm proud to be with these people. These are children of God. I boast in what Christ has done. There's a big difference there, right? Hey, talk about boasting a little bit, boasting in the Lord. Uh, why does Paul have to say, I boast in God? I boast in what Christ is doing. Why does he, why does he say that? Christians should be some of the most proudful people in the world. <laughs> Would you agree with me? Not in ourselves, but in Christ. Is, it, is there an issue in the church today where we're afraid to be proud of God? Where we're actually afraid to be proud of what God is doing? Proud of the message that changed our own life? <laughs> I mean, it's like we don't even tell people what God did for us. I mean, it was life-changing. It was radical. It was amazing. I'll never be the same. But... <laughs> I just, I'm just kind of ashamed, actually. But that's the reality. That, that's, that's the pressure society is putting on us. I mean, James knows this. 
I know what has happened to Matt Shea in recent weeks. He fears for his life. I talked with an individual recently serving Republican Party, local area, that's all I'll say. Check that out. It's dangerous. It's downright dangerous. And anybody going into politics better know what they're getting into. It's a life-threatening issue if you're going to speak this message now. Paul says, I'm proud of the Gentiles. Application. How, how does this apply to us? What's, what's 21st century? What does this verse look like in the 21st century in Gig Harbor? You got a big love for sinners of whom we are. What else? What, is it, how does this, what does this look like? I mean, can, can each of us say, I'm so proud of what God has done in the people that Paul is talking about in my life. There are groups of people that I just know the majority of Christians actually look down on me for associating with or being around. And of course, there's a fine line here of choosing friends wisely and whatnot. But we got to remember, we are called to go out of the church. Could I, could I put it that way? And make disciples. Yeah, some disciples can be made in the church, but the, the fields that God is talking about are out there. That's why I'm so thankful for Tim, for Michael, their love for the people, not only within the four walls of the church, you know what I'm talking about, but the people beyond. Are you and I proud of what Christ is doing in our relationship with that unsaved neighbor or that unsaved schoolmate, etc.? These are life-changing words, aren't they? Yeah, my prayer for, for us in this group here is as we come and we study the Word of God a little bit together, I recognize there, there are probably people here who are Christians that they just want to know more about the Bible and what Christians are doing and what it, what it means. I hope that as we study the Word of God, you've learned a little bit more tonight about what it means to be a Christian. I hope you like what you see. But for those of us who are Christians, there's a second category. There are Christians who are struggling and wrestling with issues in life. We've got needs in life, and we need the Word of God to help us. I hope that the little bit of time we've spent today has just reignited some fire in the relevancy and the accuracy of the unchanging Word of God. There's a third group. It's the Christians who are perfect, and there's nothing I can do for them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love the Word of God? Yeah. Let's just uh, read through some text here. 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who have no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Time's going so fast. I don't even know what time it is. I just know it's going too fast. 
Let me just make a couple of comments here as we, as we wrap up. What did Paul just say? And why did he say it? What did Paul just say? He's not going to stop. There's no neighbors left to witness to. I'm moving to the next neighborhood. What else did he say? Only going to talk about what Christ has done. That's how you know when to brag. Just brag on what Christ has done. What else has he said? I'm preaching about God where no one has ever heard. Going to the yeah. lost. Why would he say that? Why would he have to speak that so boldly to the believers in Rome? Because they weren't. It's easy to talk about Christ here, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll preach to the church any day. That's the safety zone. That's the comfort zone. Is there any application for us? Do you and I love to talk about Christ where Christ has never been heard? Paul just had this fiery vision, this fiery purpose in life. I just want to tell people about Christ where nobody else is talking. That's where I want to go. And he exhausted his region. He fulfilled his, he, he fulfilled his purpose. He ran his race. Do you and I have a vision? Do we have a goal of exhausting the community that God has placed us in? Lord, just give me the grace to be able to say, all of my neighbors know I follow Christ. All of my neighbors have heard about Christ from me. Those classmates that sit around me at school, they all know I follow Christ, and I'll take any chance I have to talk about him. Oh, boy, just, I love meeting believers at school. I love meeting believers at work, out at the gym, wherever. But I love meeting non-believers even more, perhaps. Can we say that? That was Paul's vision. Just give me people who've never heard. This is all related together. Paul wanted to swing the doors of the church wide open. It started with a lot of that Romans 14. You gotta stop judging. You just gotta start loving, be willing to sacrifice. He said, but we've got to include and accept. And open the doors wide to those who aren't exactly like us. I, I've, I'm so thankful Mike gave me this text, because this is the text I need. This is the next text I need. And I love how God is so patient. He doesn't beat me over the head with this. Paul yells it a little, but God doesn't beat me over the head with it. He says, Chris, I got some more truth for you. Not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Christ. These are truths you need, Chris. You need more of this. I know you know this. I know you've heard this preached on. I know you've heard this talked about in small groups. You need to hear it again, Chris. I think we all need to hear it again. I'm just assuming. But I trust the Word of God has encouraged you. The way we've approached it has just made it simple, made it real it relevant to whatever you're going through today. God has given us the words of life, the words of truth. Amen. Again, it's easy to speak it here, and we need to speak it here. The role of the evangelist is not to put down the role of the teacher or the preacher, the disciple, etc. But let us have a vision for all of these. Who knows how God's going to use each of you? I look forward to getting to heaven and having all the eternity to, to just see what God did in each person's life. What happened 20 years from now through James? What happened 20 years from now through Michael and each of you? That's going to be an awesome day. But we know from Scripture that some will be ashamed.
I just had to preach on the judgment seat of Christ recently. There are some people who will be saved by fire, and yet most of their works will go up in smoke. The wood they have stubble. There are others who the works that they have done will be counted as gold and silver, precious stone. My Lord, give us some more of that. None of us is going to be perfect. Don't let that discourage you. I don't let that discourage me. I can't let that discourage me. Lord, just give us more. Give us more tomorrow than we had yesterday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your word. We love our family here. Lord, you're such a good God in the most perfect way. We rejoice in the fact that your word is unchanging. That what Paul said to the church some 2,000 years ago is still so true and adequate and sufficient for us today. It doesn't change. How wonderful that we don't have to reinvent the wheel of grace with every generation. Generation Z needs what Y and X needed. Nothing changes. Sin is sin, and God is God. And that's what we find so much stability in you and in your word. Lord, help us to know how to take this word out of the church. How to swing those doors wide open so that all those who are sanctified by the Holy Spirit are welcomed into our lives, into our places of worship. Lord, so that it, give us the grace to know how to work together for the cause, the gospel of Christ. Let us know what is essential, but Lord, help us to be very quick to discern what are the non-essentials. The things that Satan so cunningly uses to divide us and to keep us from fighting together. I thank you, Lord, for what's happening in this place every Thursday. I pray that you would just continue to fan this flame. Help individuals to come face to face with the life-changing power of the Word and the Spirit of God. Lord, in such a way that their faith only climbs. Yes, there will be seasons when it's tested. Yes, there will be seasons when we have questions that go unanswered. But Lord, let the work of God and His Word be so sure and so real, so convincing in our own lives that we begin to realize the power of the Spirit, not only working in us, but working through us. Lord, help us to be those who run toward the Gentiles. Lord, indeed, we were a Gentile. We are, and yet your grace, your truth found us, and it never ends. Thank you for the love of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.